In April 2019, a crack team of Teambridge District councillors declared a climate emergency and swore to be carbon neutral by 2025. As a result, Action on Climate Teambridge was formed by a group of local volunteers. Enlisting a team of wildlife wardens for help, they use their knowledge and expertise to support residents and councils across Teambridge to build climate-friendly communities and help wildlife to flourish. If you care about our natural world and want to help, you can find and you can support the ACT team. And welcome to the Devon Wildlife Warden podcast, hosted by me, Emily Marbay. This episode is going to be a bit shorter than the last few. This is mainly because it's the school summer break and it's been hard enough doing my regular job and keeping my seven-year-old entertained, let alone script writing, interviewing people and recording and editing the podcast too. Not to mention the difficulty in finding quiet time for recording. But there are a few things I wanted to talk about so I thought I would go ahead and put an episode together for you anyway. This month, I want to focus on what we can do as individuals in the fight against climate change and species loss, whether what one person does really does matter. Plus, I'm going to talk about how to create a wildflower meadow or strip or area. It's something we talk about over and over again. Plant more wildflowers, rewild road verges, create wildflower strips in parks. But how do you actually do it? More on that a bit later. I'll also be talking beavers. The Department for Farming and Rural Affairs granted permission for a population of wild beavers to remain living free on the River Otter in East Devon. The decision came after a five-year trial led by the charity Devon Wildlife Trust had shown the mammals positive impacts on local nature, water quality and flood alleviation. And now, DEFRA is asking the public whether they want to see beavers reintroduced to other rivers in England. The consultation is now open to anyone to respond to with their views on what the future of beavers should be, so I'll be telling you more about the scheme a bit later on in this episode. But first, an update on the Teambridge Wildlife Warden Scheme, information about local events, and some eco-news too. We now have a massive 70 wildlife wardens trained up across Teambridge and huge credit should go to Flavio and Audrey for their ongoing hard work to keep the momentum going on this front. Our Ogwell group, Ogwild, have been busy as usual. They have been continuing their management of the rectory field site and using it for events such as a moth breakfast to showcase some of the species that can be seen there. They have also been helping prep for the Ogwell Sundowner event, which is a low-key replacement for their village fair and takes place in Ogwell from 2pm until 9pm on the 4th of September. And while on the subject of village fairs, the Abbots Kurzweil PTFA fair is also taking place earlier on the same day in the village on the playing fields, and there will be an Abwild stall offering nature-themed activities to keep our young people engaged with wildlife and conservation too. So why not come along if you're free and looking for something to do to keep the family busy at the weekend? Abbots Kurzweil is just up the road from Ogwell, so you could easily come up at lunchtime or early afternoon and check out our fair, and then head down to Ogwell for their sundowner. Also here in Abbots Kurzweil, management of the community orchard continues under the direction of tree warden Amy Walkden as does work to improve a few small public green spaces in the hope of creating wildflower areas. 
In one of the spaces, we have an invasive plant called winter heliotrope, and it's been problematic removing it. Digging has been attempted, but it only has served to help it spread, sadly. So after getting some advice from the uh, organisation Plant Life, we have used a chemical spray very carefully to remove this species so that we can hopefully enrich the space as we move forward for native wildflowers. Over in Bishop Stainton, Sarah Cochran, in collaboration with Sustainable Bishop Stainton, has organised a wildflower art competition for residents of the parish. So far, they have already had 80 pieces of artwork from the local primary school and expect to receive more. Artwork will be displayed at Bishop Stainton Festival on the 11th of September, and I think I did mention that one in the last episode as well. In Holcomb Burnell, Kate Morley held a stand at Longdown Farmer's Market. She gave away 40 packets of wildflower seed, as well as information about butterflies, whilst also raising awareness of littering and the need for more habitat connectivity. Kate also discussed the issue of litter with pupils at Ide School and helped them create a rubbish pupil sculpture for their sensory garden. Kate is continuing to monitor water quality of three streams for the West Country CSI. Really great work, Kate. It sounds like you've been a really busy beaver. In Kingstainton, Hannah completed a wildflower survey of Humber Lane and found 23 species, and the group have continued to work on the design of a nature trail, which they will present to the town council. Good luck, guys. I hope they approve it. Fingers and toes crossed for you. Meanwhile, in Sheldon, Flavio and Paul have presented Act's statement on the dredging of Exmouth Marina and the deposition of dredge materials in Lime Bay to Timmouth Town Council. The statement will be sent as a complaint to the Marine Management Organisation, and let's hope that they are going to sit up and take notice of that. And lastly, in Tedburn St Mary, Tedburn's group of seven wildlife wardens are the newest recruits, so big welcome to you guys! They had a very positive first meeting with their parish council and have met to discuss the local plan consultation and verge management, so are off to a great start. Moving on to events. Moor Trees are giving a talk on the 4th of September in Chagford about how to start your own tree nursery. You can buy tickets for £10 via a link in the episode notes and refreshments will be provided. Now, trees do play an important part in nature's recovery, and if you can create a small nursery, you are doing a great service to nature and our local environment, so do take a look at that if you're interested. Another event taking place across the 3rd and 4th of September is the Sharpen Bio Blitz. Although technically not in Teambridge, it's well worth a mention, because the idea of the event is to give members of the public a chance to be citizen scientists – taking part in various activities such as bat detecting, moth trapping, learning about animal tracking and recording various plants and mammals, it is sure to be a really educational experience. Again, I'll include a link in the episode notes in case you'd like to learn more or book a place. The Great Big Green Week takes place from the 18th to the 26th of September and will be the largest ever event for climate and nature seen in the UK. Thousands of events will celebrate how communities are taking action to tackle climate change and protect green spaces, and will encourage others to get involved too. Within Teambridge, we have two events taking place, one in Dawlish and one in Newton Abbott. 
The Great Big Green Dawlish Lawn event is taking place on the 18th of September from 10.30 until 4. And it's a green-themed musical event with 12 information stands celebrating climate action and protection of the environment. It's being run by Sustainable Dawlish Transition and our wildlife wardens will have a stand there. And the Newton Abbott event takes place on the 25th of September from 10 until 4 near the clock tower in Newton Abbott Town Centre. There will be a wildlife warden stall and lots of climate stuff, as well as a variety of electric vehicles for people to see. Now I'll actually be helping out at this one for a couple of hours, so do stop by and say hi. And on Saturday the 9th of October, Exminster Environment Group is holding an Autumn Environment Fair to demonstrate to the residents what they have achieved and what they aim to achieve in the future. Local Wildlife Warden Peter Chandler has booked a stand at the event for Wildlife Warden Scheme, and there will be other organisations attending, such as the RSPB, Scouts and Cubs, the Green Space Group, a local school and a gardening club. The event takes place from 10am until 1pm and is being held at Victory Hall in Exminster. Moving on, I'd like to go back to basics and look again at what we can do as individuals in the fight against climate change and species loss. It's easy to take a step back and say, what difference can one person really make? Does it matter if I use a plastic straw or disposable coffee cup while the government continues to invest in fossil fuels and delays making policy changes that would protect our natural environment? The answer is yes. We all need to play our part and really think about the combined efforts that we can make to help protect our environment. So what can you do? If you're not sure, here are a few ideas. You can certainly write to your MP. They really do read their mail, and if enough people take up environmental issues, they have a professional interest in sitting up and taking notice. After all, they want to be re-elected at some point, so if enough people are telling them to do it, they will look closely at these things. Another thing you can do is community greening. This is very much in line with the Wildlife Warden Scheme, and as such, there are lots of ideas in these podcasts, from creating wildflower spaces and community orchards, to encouraging wildlife-friendly gardening, wilding of churchyards, and digging community ponds. It all not only serves to help wildlife now, but also to educate our next generation around the importance of such activities. You could also try getting green at work. Can you get your office to go green? Can you get your boss to switch to recycled paper or a green energy provider? Every little helps. And of course, we can all do our bit to reduce, reuse and recycle. Okay, this one has been done to death, but if we all do it, the cumulative effect can be impactful. We can also do more local shopping, and I don't mean at your local supermarket. I mean buying products made or grown as locally as possible to reduce their carbon footprint, as well as doing things like reducing your consumption of meat. Again, these things all serve to help a little. And something I mention in most episodes is signing petitions. It all helps to lobby the government to be more eco-friendly, and the more of us who do sign, the more they will take notice. And you could also donate to charities doing great work for the environment. There are plenty of organisations out there, so it doesn't take long to find one that you can be passionate about and lend your support. Now, 
you'll notice that many of the things mentioned in this list are often touched upon in these podcasts. And that is because the Wildlife Warden Scheme is very much about grassroots individual action and also why I wanted to kind of touch upon this list again in this podcast. I'm going to just mention a couple of petitions you could sign right away to do your bit this month. And there are links to them in the episode notes so you can have easy access to them. This month, I'm including a petition to ban pesticide use in private gardens to help protect bees, other wildlife and human health. There is also a petition in the notes to protect wildlife rather than property developers' profits, as well as a plant life one to encourage the preservation of grasslands. They are all worth a few minutes of your time, so please do take a look and sign them if you can. Now, before going on and talking about how to create wildflower spaces, which I really do think is an important thing that we can be doing, I wanted to talk a bit more about beavers. As mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Department for Farming and Rural Affairs granted permission for a population of wild beavers to remain living free on the River Otter in East Devon. The decision came after a five-year trial led by the charity Devon Wildlife Trust had shown the mammals positive impacts on local nature, water quality and flood alleviation. Now, DEFRA is asking the public whether they wish to see beavers reintroduced to other rivers in England. The consultation is now open to anyone to respond to with their views on what the future of beavers should be, And again, I'll provide a link in the episode notes for anyone who wants to look at this and make a comment. The East Devon beavers were the first wild colony of the semi-aquatic mammals to have bred in England since they were hunted to extinction more than 400 years ago. There are now thought to be 20 beaver families living in the River Otter and its tributaries. Harry Barton, Devon Wildlife Trust's chief executive, said... Beavers are the most amazing animals, capable of transforming our rivers and wetlands for the better. Our work on the River Otter Beaver Trial and the work of the Wildlife Trust in Scotland and elsewhere have shown that these natural engineers can provide an impressive array of services, from storing climate-changing carbon to flood alleviation. Our experience has also shown that beavers can thrive in a modern landscape, and that we can live happily side by side with these fascinating and engaging creatures. We believe it is a top priority for nature's recovery to see their return to rivers across the UK. Beavers are wild animals and will need managing, so it's vitally important that we reintroduce them in a planned and sensible way, and that we have a toolkit of management techniques available, so we know exactly how to deal with issues if and when they arise. And if we want to maximise the benefits beavers can bring, farmers and land managers will need supporting with advice and incentives to make space for the valuable wetlands they create. The Wildlife Trusts have been calling for an ambitious national plan for beavers for some time, so I'm delighted to see the launch of the consultation today. This is the start of a vitally important conversation about the future of these once widespread animals, and I would urge anyone who cares about their future in the English landscape to respond. Well said, Harry Barton from the Devon Wildlife Trust. Now, Devon Wildlife Trust, which has more than 40,000 supporters, plans to base its own response to DEFRA's consultation around four key asks. Number one, to formally recognise beavers as a resident native species in England, as has been done already in Scotland. 
Secondly, to ensure beaver populations thrive in the wild by supporting carefully targeted reintroduction projects, bolstering populations where necessary to ensure their long-term health. Thirdly, to help landowners to make space for watercourses and wetlands created by beavers by providing appropriate schemes and funding programmes. And lastly, to adopt systems of management that ensure beavers are properly protected in a flexible and simple way that avoids excessive administration burdens on land managers and regulators. Beavers were hunted to extinction in England more than four centuries ago. In 2013, a family of beavers, which can grow to more than 20 kilos and live on an exclusively vegetarian diet, they do not eat fish, contrary to popular belief, were found to be living on the River Otter in East Devon. The population's origins are still unclear, and at first they were threatened with removal by officials. But in 2015, with local community support, Devon Wildlife Trust and a partnership including the University of Exeter, Clinton Devon Estates and the Derek Gow Consultancy successfully secured a licence from the government which would allow the beavers to stay and be studied over a five-year period. This licence established the River Otter Beaver Trial. The trial represented one of the most comprehensive independent scientific studies of beavers and their impacts. Its evidence was presented to DEFRA in January 2020 and formed the basis of the government's decision, announced in August, that the Devon beavers should remain in the wild. Devon Wildlife Trust's Mark Elliott led the five-year trial and he said, Our extensive experience gained here in East Devon shows that people and beavers can coexist well. We would now like to see an ambitious move to reintroduce beavers into the majority of river catchments in England over the coming years. Working closely with farmers, landowners and communities, we've been able to iron out issues where they have arisen and have jointly developed a model of practical management which we'd like to see repeated across the country. Beavers have become an established and popular part of our local landscape in East Devon. As well as bringing income to the local community, they are boosting wildlife and measurably reducing the risk of flooding in certain locations. In the midst of the climate and ecological emergency that we are now in, beavers can really help. But it is essential that we give our watercourses more space in order for these benefits to be realised. Proper incentives to encourage landowners and farmers to provide space for streams and beaver-created wetlands are an essential part of this, and it is vital for the government to provide the necessary funding too. With these measures in place, these benefits could be replicated in most rivers throughout England. DEFRA's consultation is a key opportunity for all of us to make our thoughts on the future of these amazing animals known. Again, well said there, Mark Elliott from the Devon Wildlife Trust. Now, DEFRA's beaver consultation runs for 12 weeks and it's live from 9.30am on Wednesday the 25th of August and you can access the consultation via a link that I'll pop in the episode notes. Please do take a minute to have a look at that because you really could be having a personal impact on whether these beaver reintroductions go ahead. And finally, as mentioned earlier in the episode, I wanted to give a bit more information on how you can go about creating a wildflower meadow or area. The RSPB have provided an excellent guide on the subject, which is where I got this information, 
and I'll also include a link to their page in case you'd rather take a look at it yourself than listen to me blab on about it. Now, our countryside was once full of meadows bursting with a gorgeous variety of flowering plants, supporting butterflies, insects, farmland birds and other wildlife. But since the 1930s, we have lost over 99% of what were called unimproved grasslands. And those that are left are pretty fragmented. However, you can create something of the same feel in your own garden or local community green space, provided you get permission first. Preparing the ground and removing weeds may take several weeks, and you can do this at any time of the year, but autumn really is the best month for sowing your seeds. Now, this is one of the most important activities we can do for wildlife, but it is also quite challenging, so take the time to plan your project for maximum success. Sadly, just throwing wildflower seeds down on existing grassland is unlikely to work because grasses will often outcompete the flowers, or the seeds will just get eaten. So let's start out by looking at what a wildflower meadow actually is. It's an area of permanent grass where wildflowers grow, not a bed of cornfield annuals like poppies. The reason it's important to make this distinction is because a bed of poppies grows on fertile soil. Wildflower meadows grow better on unproductive soil where vigorous grasses don't outcompete the flowers. The best time to create and sow your meadow is autumn, which is why I'm talking about this at the end of August. The first thing you need to do is choose a suitable area. You might want to turn some of your lawn or an old flower border into a wildflower area. Or, if you have the time to approach your local council, you may be able to get permission to do this in a local park or any other publicly owned green space. It needs to be somewhere open and sunny, but can be flat or sloping. A relatively large area is best where you'll have the space for growing a range of wildflowers. You then need to reduce the fertility of the land. Your soil is likely to be too rich for a meadow if it has had plenty of fertiliser added over the years. Now, that doesn't just mean liquid fertiliser, it might be something as simple as existing grass cuttings and things being left to mulch down. The best way to reduce the fertility is to remove the top three to six inches of topsoil using a turf cutter or a spade and good old muscle power. If you don't want to strip the soil, you can reduce some of the fertility by sowing a crop of something like mustard plants in the first year. Part of the brassica family, they're notoriously hungry plants and will remove some of the nutrients from the soil as they grow, making it ideal for wildflowers next season. Next, you need to dig out the soil and get rid of any weeds. Time for more backbreaking effort. You want to create a fine soil that looks like breadcrumbs for seed sowing, just as you would with a lawn. Now, once you're back to bare soil, lay some black plastic over it so any weed seeds already there germinate and die back. Some people resort to chemicals at this stage if they are beset with nettles and dock. Although using chemicals isn't ideal, it can be a good means to an end in some situations. Then comes the fun part, choosing your wildflower seed mix. And do try to keep these native if possible, because you will get more bang for your buck that way for nature. Good mixes include things like bird's foot trefoil, which is important for common blue butterfly caterpillars. Common sorrel, again important for butterflies, this time for the small copper butterfly caterpillars. Cowslips, 
field scabious, hoary plantain, greater and common knapweed, ladies' bed straw, meadow buttercup, oxeye daisy, red clover, ribwort plantain, wild carrot, yarrow, and a range of wild grasses such as bents, fescues, and crested dog's tail are also good. Do not get these confused with lawn grasses as they are likely to outcompete your wildflowers and undo all your hard work. And the magic ingredient is yellow rattle, an annual flower that has a special ability to reduce the vigour of the grasses. It's also worth noting that you may be able to get in touch with owners of wildflower meadows and go along in autumn to do some seed collecting directly from their established plants. It's a great way of keeping down the cost at the same time as seeing what an established meadow looks like. I talked about local meadows in an earlier podcast, so do take a look if you want to find some near you. You can, then, at last, get sewing. This is another fun bit and best done in autumn. You need about 5 grams of seed per square metre of meadow. Now, because the sowing is so thin, it's best to mix the seed with dry silver sand. Now, that's the type you use to kind of put around block paving. Don't use builder sand because it's not fine enough and it's usually too damp. Pale coloured sand helps you to see the areas you've already sown and whether you've missed anywhere. The correct ratio is usually 3-5 parts sand to one of seed. Now just scatter the seeds as you walk across the ground, try to get an even coverage, split your seeds into batches and sow one batch walking in one direction and another walking at 90 degrees. That way you're most likely to get good coverage. There's no need to uh, rake the seed in or cover it with soil, but gently walk across it so the seeds are in contact with the soil and you may need to net it from birds or you might lose a fair bit of your seed as they enjoy their free dinner. You also need to keep it well watered until it's established, so if you're improving a local public space, you may want to sow at a time when rain is forecast for a few days to help the seed get started. And of course, your job isn't done now because you also need to consider the aftercare. In the first season, Cut the growth in midsummer and remove all the dead spent material known as the arisings. Again, the reason for doing this is because if you leave them behind, they will mulch into the soil, making the soil more nutritious and making it easier for grasses to take over your wildflower area. So mow it midsummer, rake up the arisings, and in subsequent seasons, the main method for managing a meadow is to just not mow from early April to late July, August, or even early September. It's best to vary the time you cut each year, or some plants might begin to dominate others. If you're cutting early, for example in July, leave an uncut refuge for grasshoppers as their nymphs are very vulnerable at that time of the year. Cut the hay in dry weather. It will probably be too high for a mower, so use grass shears, or you may even want to do it the good old-fashioned way with a scythe. Leave it lying on the ground for up to a week for the seeds to drop, and then clear it all away for compost. Give the meadow a couple more mows during autumn and maybe once in early spring if it needs it, and you may need to do some spot weeding to remove things like nettles, dock and thistles as they do quickly take over and dominate sites. 
Now, your meadow will evolve year by year, with some species coming through strongly to start with, and then others sort of taking over. You should see bees and butterflies start to use your lovely wildflower space, and if you're really lucky, you may also get grasshoppers. Birds should start to feed there, and you may well get bats flying over, snatching bugs from the air too. It can become one of the most life-filled parts of your garden or public space, and recent studies in London parks have indicated substantial invertebrate benefits within two years of meadow creation. So it really is a valuable thing to do, and if you do give it a go, we'd love to see your results and hear your stories. That just about brings us to the end of this month's Devon Wildlife Warden podcast. So for now, I am going to bid you farewell. I hope you are having a great summer, and I do hope that you feel inspired to do something, however small, for your local wildlife. This podcast was narrated and produced by me, Emily Marbay, with music by Upbeat Whistle.